This talk is supported by SmallPDF, the successful Swiss scale-up making PDF easy for over a billion people around the world since 2013. You may remember them from a previous podcast we hosted with their CEO, Dennis Just. Their mission is to make PDFs and life easy for people across the world, a mission made possible with their 90-plus amazing employees across Zurich, Belgrade and Barcelona. If you want to join this fast-growing Swiss scale-up, visit smallpdf.com forward slash Swisspreneur and apply. The best way to get your users to recommend it is to build a great product. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Kevin, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Likewise, likewise. I've, I've really been looking forward to this conversation, Sylvan. So have I. You are the co-founder at Snipped, an AI-powered podcast player to unlock the knowledge in podcasts. I mean... That is basically very close to our core business, right? Before we talk about your impressive product and your story, you actually originally come from England and you grew up in Germany as well, but you then came to Zurich to get your master's degree from ETH, where you also met your future co-founder, Ferdinand. He also, that's what we saw when we did our research, introduced you to the world of AI and the startup world. So how did this sort of broaden your horizons? Yeah, so maybe first of all, yeah, I completely agree. I think this this conversation, given given the product that we're working on, is it was a conversation bound to happen. Right. <laughs> and yeah, you're absolutely correct. So I came to came to Zurich ten years ago now. And I think on my very first day I met Ferdinand, um, who's been a very good friend uh throughout the entire ten years. And he was, in fact, the person who introduced me to the whole concept of startups. Mm-hmm. So what you, I think what you need to know is we, we were studying quantitative finance. So we were all set on, on becoming a quant at a big bank. Right. So basically, this is all about these mathematical models for risk modeling and uh, derivatives pricing, quantitative trading. So the, you know, when you talk about what you'll do afterwards, you talk about these big banks like UBS, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs. Nobody ever talked about startups. So um, he was the one who got uh, involved in ETH Entrepreneur Club and even a club at the University of Zurich. And he convinced me and a couple of friends to, to join him in a meetup. Um, so that's really how, how this, this whole uh, thing started with startups. Wow. And yeah, and it was actually also him who introduced me to machine learning, mm-hmm. as it was called back then. Right. Before the marketing guys took over and called it AI, <laughs> um, it it was uh, towards the end of our studies, and he he did this course that was outside of our curriculum, and he he comes up to me and says, Kevin, Kevin, you really you have to do this course, like it's called machine learning, it's amazing, you will love it. Mm-hmm. And first I thought like, what what. <laughs> So uh, I told him, okay, give me, give me the slides. And, and I went through the slides and I immediately fell in love with it. It, it created such a passion in me. I started uh, reading more about it, doing courses online, uh, reading uh, blog posts, reading academic papers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you have to know before that, you know, I've been studying quant finance for five years. Not once did I ever 
come up with the idea to read an academic paper in my free time. <laughs> yeah. No way. And suddenly here I was uh, doing this in my free time, starting projects. So this this quickly became a, a major part of, of my life. And it was clear this is the direction that I have to continue. You basically found your passion. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. However, then you actually went to the big banks. You went to UBS. You worked there for three years. So, of course, then the question comes up, why did you leave after three years and decided, well, that's maybe not the best fit for you? Yeah, so the, the main point was really this, this how I was developing this passion for machine learning. So, I mean, what I just told was uh, over a time frame of one to two years where I got more and more into it. And I just realized, look, I'm not doing enough machine learning in my current job. And I have to say my boss, uh, he really, he supported me and gave me projects where I could experiment and all of that. But at some point it was like, I need, I need a bigger challenge. So I decided to leave and um, take the biggest challenge of all, join a startup. <laughs> yeah, there was this thing, right, that Ferdinand introduced you to. Exactly. So why not <laughs> test it out yourself? You then joined the Swiss startup Contavista. We already talked to the business angel behind it, uh, Thomas Dupendorf, in a, in a previous episode. So what was this, this first startup experience like for you? Because you came from, you know, the big corporate world, banking. That must have felt like a culture shock. <laughs> it was definitely a culture change. I wouldn't call it a shock. Um, or it was a very positive shock. Mm -hmm. So maybe to, to give a bit of context um, to to the listeners. So what I did there was I, I built up the AI and analytics team there. Before I joined, there was basically no one uh, doing this. And we were working on some, some really exciting machine learning models that we were licensing to banks. And we were really starting with a blank sheet. And for me, this experience, these especially the first couple of years of Contavista, it was it was like a dream to me. The for me, especially two two elements really really played a big role. It was this creating something, mm -hmm. and I personally have come to the realization that creating something is, is is something that's really deeply ingrained in us humans. That I think it makes us happy. At least I've I've noticed that yeah, for myself. I agree, and I see it in others. And we were there. We were all hungry. We were creating something that we th thought was valuable, and even the customer thought it was valuable. And the other aspect of it was, was play. You know, as children, we love playing. And then as adults, we slowly start to forget about it, especially in, you know, let's say a bit more the corporate world. Mm -hmm. And here we were, this, this atmosphere, this culture where you could just play with ideas and try it out and see what happens. Mm -hmm. So these, these two things were, were really culture-wise what, what, uh, what made it like a dream. And on the other side, it was what I was learning. I mean, within mm -hmm. two, three years, the amount of things that I learned, be it, be it around how to build a product, uh, you know, technical things like what I learned in machine learning, coding, um, and then hiring, you know, once, you know, at some yeah. point you get your own team, then you start hiring people. But it was, was also just about the fundamentals of startups. Mm -hmm. You know, simple things like focus on the problem, not the solution. Nice Iterate, one. you know, the whole build, measure, learn thing. These yeah. very basic things. I mean, I had been studying for, or I, I, I studied for five years 
and I basically studied math and economics, mm -hmm. you would think that somebody would teach you this in economics, <laughs> but but they don't. Right. And this this is really something that uh, I, I took away now, of course, for my new experience, but also for so many other um, areas in life. I think you, you touched upon multiple very relevant points, you know, having fun and, and also enjoying what you're doing, but then also learning and actually building things. I think if you have these com this combination, it becomes a very powerful thing because if you're motivated, if you then also develop a certain strength and talent at it, you basically become really, really good at it. And then you can only win, basically, you know? You can only win. And it's, this play is basically, you know, if you look at children, you don't need to tell them to play. They and do you, it, yeah. You don't need to tell them to keep playing. Right. So it's this self-motivating, intrinsic thing. Yeah. So if you find that, it's yeah. sky's the limit. Exactly. <laughs> I fully agree with that. That's a beautiful <laughs> statement. Now, then you're also towards the end of your Contavista time, right? You then also had to face a decision. Well, what do I do with my life? Do I go back to university and pursue a PhD? Do I do something else and, for example, start my own company? <laughs> you consciously decided against going for a PhD. Was that an easy decision for you? No, it was, it was a process. Um, so to give some context, um, it was around the time where in the AI world, um, there was quite a big breakthrough, or at least I thought at the time, mm -hmm. um, which was uh, self-supervised learning. So just in a nutshell, what this means is before that point in time, um, these AI models, you had to train them on big data sets that were labeled. So meaning, um, for example, if you have a computer vision model, You have uh, images of cats, images of dogs, and you actually had some human added the label, this is an image of a cat or dog. Right. And self-supervised learning allowed training of these huge AI models without having the label. Yeah, so you just very powerful. Yeah, yeah. You just had these huge data sets and we have enough uh, data of images, of videos, of audio. And when I read this first academic paper, I was, I was blown away. And I, and I, I thought, this is the future. Mm -hmm. Which, in the meantime, turned out it is, it is the future. Right. So uh, this, this was basically where I thought, okay, should I pursue this as a PhD? Mm -hmm. um, and I looked up who could be an interesting professor at, at ETH, where I could do that. And I found out that Thomas Dubendorfer... <laughs> who you mentioned earlier, who's, who's an investor, who was an investor at ContaVista. Uh, he actually knows him. Mm -hmm. He worked together with him at Google in the past. So I call up Thomas and I basically just wanted to ask him about the professor. Like, is this a smart guy? Is he nice? Like, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I start the conversation telling him like, yeah, you know, Thomas, I'd, you know, I'd love to do a PhD in this area. And then afterwards, uh, I think I'd love to start a startup. And he was like, wait, 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 wait. If you want to start a startup, then start a startup. But don't ever think that a PhD will help you just one single bit. Um, so this, this was the first moment where I sort of thought like, hmm, is this the right thing to do? Mm -hmm. But still, there was, I was just genuinely very interested in this, in this topic. So I continued to think about it. And I actually prepared my, uh, my application for the PhD. And I wrote the application very carefully where I 
every chance that I had, I added that I want this PhD to be applied, basically mm -hmm. where it's not just purely theoretical, but I will create something. Right. And before I sent it off, I gave this application to a friend of a friend who was doing his PhD at that professor at that time. Okay. Yeah. He went through it, sent it back to me. And each single time I said applied, he removed it and added theoretical. Ooh, that's quite a statement. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the mo moment where I realized, look, I mean, this is just so deeply inside me that I want to create and I mm. want to apply and I want to create something that's valuable. Yeah. And this is exactly what you do in a startup. So let's do a startup. And of course, in the area of AI. Yeah. So no PhD. Let's go and start my own company. You then did so in 2021, right? With two co-founders together. And one of them we heard before, of course, Ferdinand. How did you keep in touch along all, all these days? Yeah, it was, it was actually less about keeping in touch, but not just, just not drifting apart because okay. we were close friends. We were both living here in Zurich. Mm -hmm. um, we had um, many, many projects together for, for a couple of years. We were running the uh, alumni club that Ferdinand actually co-founded um, for our study course you know, where we would uh, organize meetups, like find sp interesting speakers, convince them to, to speak at our events, um, contact companies for sponsorship. Uh, also a very interesting experience. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> um, so we had all of these, all of these uh, interesting uh, projects. Um, and another thing was actually one, one year in summer, we, um, we took a GoPro and both Ferdinand and I, we love uh, high diving. So we went to all of the bridges across the rivers in Zurich and mm -hmm. jumped into the water with, you know, <laughs> somersaults and Auerbacher and these kind of things. Nice. And I then edited that into a five-minute video. And uh, so we, we always had some interesting uh, stuff that we did together. And take us back to the early days, because if I remember correctly, your first focus was not on podcasts, but actually on meeting notes, or at least the first ideas that you had. Yeah, yeah. When Ferdinand and I started talking about this, um, one idea that came to mind, um, Ferdinand suggested to automate taking meeting notes. Um, so he at the time was working for uh, the BCG Gamma, the data science uh, team of uh, Boston Consulting Group. Mm -hmm. So he was used to having these corporate meetings right. where somebody had to take meeting notes. <laughs> Um, and we basically looked at it and we thought the AI technology should actually be there, like the level of, of um, quality. Mm -hmm. um, so it's more a question of putting the pieces together and seeing how well it works. Right. So we decided let's just take a weekend and try to hack together like a really crappy prototype and just to get a feel of it. So... To do that, we actually decided to apply for Hack Zurich, like Europe's biggest hackathon, mm -hmm. because it was a perfect uh, excuse to block the entire weekend and have a cool atmosphere where we could try this out. However, before we actually participated in Hack Zurich, um, I was listening to a podcast episode about podcasting <laughs> and the future of podcasts. And when when listening to to this episode, they were talking about all of the, the problems uh, that exist in podcasting. And 
I just realized these are all of the problems that I myself have. These are all of the things that were annoying me. Mm-hmm. And the next realization was like, wait, all of the things that Ferdinand and I have been talking about from a technology point of view for these meeting nodes, it's very similar actually, and we could use very similar technology to solve a lot of these problems. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we decided to go to Hack Zurich and actually do something for podcasts instead of meeting notes. So it was more of also a personal relation to the problem that you were trying to attack there. Definitely, definitely. That was, that was a, um, a big part of it that we just saw both Ferdinand and I, we were users. We had this problem ourselves mm-hmm. and we would love to see a solution. Um, right. We could ease also ourselves be... Um, judge much better what kind of solution would would be good and what wouldn't yeah. and we could you know one of the questions that that you often get asked if or one of the questions you should ask yourself before you start a startup on a certain idea is can you see yourself work on this idea for 10 years right yeah. and with podcasts that answer was 100% yes yeah but with meeting notes probably not so much <laughs> or at least a, a less strong yes. I, I think it would have been more challenging. Let's put okay. it like that. Very, very <laughs> diplomatic. So then what happened after the Hack Zurich attendance? Because then you did start your company. You founded the company in 2021. You know, how did that come together and why was the timing right to get started back then? Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the timing, I, I think that there's never the perfect timing. No. I think there's like, so much that you can read online about when and like, no, you at some point you have to go for it. So mm-hmm. that's just, you know, as a disclaimer. Um, but for us, the situation was that both Ferdinand and I were at a point in our jobs where we were starting to think about the next step. Mm-hmm. And um, we saw that in this podcast uh, area, there were these problems and just shortly before we actually went to Hack Zurich, there was again a breakthrough in the AI community in the area of speech AI. So it was actually this, you know, I mentioned earlier, this self-supervised learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, this started in the area of natural language processing. So understanding texts. Right. And this moved um, or was introduced in speech AI. So basically now this this came into this field and and to me it was clear that now like the next couple of years it would progress similarly fast in this area as natural language processing did yeah. the years before. So this was sort of the why now mm-hmm. um answer with respect to the the solution. And then personally on top like a bit of this cherry on top was was uh that we won Hack Zurich which gave us, you know, this extra kind of activation energy. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, we, I mean, we knew, or, you know, we, we kept telling ourselves, okay, winning a hackathon doesn't, doesn't, of course, um, you know, validate anything. But the thing that really um, helped us or gave us some, some validation was how many other participants approached us afterwards, telling us like, oh my God, I have these problems. Nice. And, this would be amazing, something like this, you know, maybe a bit different, but you know, like this technology will really solve the problem that I have with podcasts. And this, this was actually the, the thing which was much, much bigger than winning. Mm -hmm. And then you and Ferdinand went together to Hack Zurich, but then 
about one month later, right, you also had a third co-founder joining you, Mikel. How did that happen? Yeah, so Mikel, so Mikel joined us a month after we we started. So mm -hmm. that was that was then um, three months after okay. Hack Zurich. Right. Yeah. Um, so after Hack Zurich, like the same month, we quit our jobs, but then we had nice. three months uh, notice period. And yeah, Mikel, um, I, I worked together with him at Conta Vista. Mm -hmm. So he's also part of the Conta Vista gang. Exactly. <laughs> um, we worked together for four and a half years where he, he did an amazing job as he started out as a, as a front end engineer, then later full stack, uh, also team lead. So he was, he was really one of the strong engineers that we had. And him and I, we always, we, we got along really great. We were you know, always the last man standing at the Conta Vista parties um, nice. together with John. But, you know, that's that's something you can talk to him about. Okay, when, we will do that. <laughs> when he joins you. Um, and he had left Conta Vista just one month before I did. Mm -hmm. And his plan was to do a sabbatical. Three months, relaxing a bit. Um, and he contacted me and said, uh, you know, Kevin, uh, it sounds super interesting what you're working on. Um, I'd love to, you know, continue to code during my sabbatical because I love coding and I have a couple of things that I want to try out. If you're interested, uh, you know, if you need someone to code a bit in the front end, uh, happy to. So, uh, yeah, he, he joined us in the beginning. It was just, you know, as a side project during his sabbatical mm -hmm. until suddenly we realized like he's working full time on this, <laughs> even though it's his sabbatical. Um, so at, at some point we were like, uh, Miguel, um, are you sure you don't want to join us? You sure you want to find a different job? <laughs> and for him, it was, it was the same. It was like, uh, guys, I actually wanted to talk to you too. Yeah. So, so he joined us. So the dream team was completed. Definitely. It was, he was definitely the missing puzzle, uh, the missing piece in the puzzle. Right. Um, Ferdinand and I, we, we cover a lot of basics, uh, a, lot of, a lot of areas, mm -hmm. and we're also fast learners, um, but both of us have no experience in building a front end, and we're building a B2C product, an app, yeah. so having a really great front end UX is, uh, is invaluable, and he was really the one, he's, he's a wizard when it comes to building front ends. Amazing. Um, it's, it's crazy. I mean, you can look at our app. Yeah, um, you can tell. Yeah, you can tell. <laughs> a lot, a lot uh, is thanks to him and um, one of the UX designers we work with. So I, I also want to talk a bit more about the problem. Like Now, of course, you know, you, you work in the podcast space, but what is the exact problem that you're actually solving for your users? Yeah. Yeah. So for us, it all starts with the knowledge in podcasts. Mm -hmm. like we, we look at podcasts as one of the largest knowledge bases in the world. Right. And this audio medium is, is really great for consuming this content, uh, also for producing it. it. It's quite great. Right. I can tell you as well. <laughs> yeah, I can confirm that. Um, but at the same time, this audio medium, it makes it difficult to, uh, like more in a technical way, to interact with this knowledge base. So to be a bit more concrete, it's, it's very difficult to actually find the best moments inside a two-hour-long episode, yeah. the moments that interest you, to basically skim through an episode in a 
similar fashion as you, as you would do a, maybe a blog post and then right. you find something and then you deep dive. Yeah. And once you actually hear something that that is great, you know, there's maybe some great advice. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully I will give some great advice to some people today as well. <laughs> I'm sure. Um, you know, you, you hear that. And of course, you're at the same time, you're riding your bike, you're actually driving the car, you're jogging. So it's very difficult to actually write that down um, or somehow save this moment. Mm-hmm. So what often happens is you think, oh, this is great. I should remember this. I should tell my team about this. I should implement this. And two minutes later, you've forgotten about it. Exactly. And when you actually then do remember, it's like, what was it again? And it's impossible to to come back. Somewhere along these two hours, you're never going to find it again. <laughs> exactly. So basically, a lot of the, the knowledge uh, inside podcasts is is either never listened to mm-hmm. or it's it's lost. Yeah. And um, this is basically the problem that we're that we're trying to solve with Snipped. We we want to unlock the knowledge in podcasts. And of course, the follow up question to this is how do you actually do this? Yes, of course, that's, that's uh, the, the important part. So in, in one sentence, um, we've built a AI-powered podcast player to discover the best moments in podcasts, mm-hmm. to highlight them, and to share them with others. So <laughs> in what this means in detail, um, I think it's, it's, uh, it's great to start with what we've been focusing on in this first phase of our company life, mm-hmm. because we're still, uh, we're still young. Um, so this first phase was really about um, the highlighting. So it's this scenario that you listen to a great episode, you hear something that, that inspires you, that's great advice, and you want to save that. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we've built here is that in our app, if you listen to a podcast and you, you're in such a moment, you can press one button in the app or on your headphones. It's actually a triple click on your headphones. And uh, our app will save that moment. And how that happens is um, we, our AI will analyze the content that you've just listened to, will determine the best start and end point to capture the full context uh, of this moment. Mm-hmm. It will provide you with a transcript and then generate a summary of that and a descriptive title. So you can think of it, you're now on your jog, you're jogging, Sylvan, you're quite fit. (laughs) Um, You listen to to a great episode, every now and then you you hear something great that you want to save. So you just triple click your headphones. And after an hour of your jog, you come back to the app and let's say you have five highlights and they're all prepared for you with a descriptive title such that you can easily like, ah, yeah, here they were talking about the whole consciousness thing and here they were talking about the startup advice. Um, And even to refresh your mind, you don't even always have to re-listen to the whole moment. You can read the summary and be like, ah, yeah, now I remember. And of course, finally, we all, you know, as humans, if we come across something uh, incredible, we love sharing that with others. True. Yeah. So now you can just take this moment and uh, share that with someone else by sending them uh, a link that they can yeah. that they can directly listen to this uh, this moment. Or even now, completely new since Monday, uh, you can even create uh, short, up to one minute, beautiful videos. Uh, 
out of this moment. That's fantastic. Our team actually internally is already sent that, oh, look, this is so cool, this new feature <laughs> this week, like yesterday or before yesterday, they shared that. Amazing. And I think that's really a game changer for how the way that people listen to podcasts, really driven by your innovative and basically breakthrough technology in the background. Yeah, definitely. This, this is also one of the feedbacks that we are receiving from users, that they tell us, guys, your app has changed the way I interact with podcasts. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is really the direction that we're going. Um, I mean, we have now, so this was basically like phase one, and now we're slowly moving into phase two, yeah. <laughs> where, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's also about discovering. Mm -hmm. And what we are now starting to, to experiment with is basically allowing the user to find the best moments within an episode. Nice. So one of the, one of the features that we've actually already, we've had in the app for a long time is um, our automatic chapters. So we have an, an AI model that takes the, the episode, uh, processes it and um, divides it into chapters. Mm -hmm. And each chapter gets, a again, a title and a summary. Yeah. So this way, um, as a user, you can go browse through the chapters and be like, oh, this is actually what I'm interested in exactly. most. Yeah. Uh, here's where Silvan asks Thomas Dübendorfer how to pitch uh, a business angel. <laughs> True, yeah. So you dive right into, into that moment. So this yeah. is one of the was one of the first discovery features, which is really loved by uh, our users. But uh, now we're, we're continuing to do more experiments. Basically, what you have to realize is we have, with all of these highlights, we basically have the information about which moments of an episode were most informative, were most interesting, most, right. as we sometimes call, knowledge-rich. Mm -hmm. So we've started to train AI models to predict um, which moments of an episode that have not been listened to by anyone yet, yeah. which moments will be the most interesting um, and then, of course, also personalized yeah. to, to the user. So, um, yeah, without, without, to, without revealing too much, um, we, we really have some great experiments running and uh, some exciting features coming up in the future. I already see the investor slide, right, with the network effect of getting better and better <laughs> at this, which is super convincing for investors. <laughs> But before you mentioned that you actually started with a crappy MVP, right? How do you go from crappy MVP to a really sophisticated product as you already offer it right now, you know, which is strong, technology-driven and really adds a lot of value to its users? Yeah, I think the, the core of everything at a startup is iterations. So you really have to iterate as fast as possible to make you know, small steps and learn. Mm -hmm. And for us, when we started out, like at the very, very beginning, where it was just Ferdinand and me, um, we, we said, okay, we want to optimize for learning. So especially early stage startup, I think you should always optimize for learning. Like what do you not know? Mm -hmm. And do everything to find that out. I so. Love that. <laughs> So we said, okay, actually, a lot of the AI stuff, we were quite confident that we would solve that. Mm -hmm. And we knew more or less how to do that. Right. So we ignored that. And we focused on all of the things that we didn't know. And for that, we, we, uh, we said, okay, we want to have a first 
MVP. It can be super crappy, right? And it was super crappy. <laughs> but we want to have one in two weeks, and we want to put it in yeah. someone's hands and get feedback from them. Yeah. So this is what we did, and um, we we built this MVP. Um, even we built a front end. Nice. <laughs> the two of us, we we repurposed a Python framework that was actually um, meant to build data dashboards with mm -hmm. but we used it to build an app front end <laughs> <laughs> why not right yeah <laughs> um you know as an entrepreneur you have to be relentlessly resourceful as i think yeah. um uh, the linkedin co-founder i think uh, always says that mm -hmm. um and yeah our first mvp it had only five shows Uh, five of the best shows in the world. <laughs> so that was um, Lex Friedman. It was uh, The Knowledge Project, Tim Ferriss, Invest Like the Best, and Swisspreneur. I was like sh almost shocked when he told me that you selected Swisspreneur as a five you know, tough podcast to, to work with. I mean, <laughs> we feel honored and that's such a great story to share. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Um, so we just, and for every show, we just, I think we, we had five episodes and that was it. Yeah. And we prepared a lot of the things manually and, but we had an MVP after two weeks and we gave it into someone's hands, um, asked a couple of friends that we thought, you know, would be in the target audience right? and we got feedback from them. And this is basically how we continued for a couple of months. Also when Mikel joined us, the prototypes got a... <laughs> significantly nicer um but that's basically how we iterated our way in finding okay what's actually important to a user mm -hmm. and what's not important where can we where do we have to focus more on and what's what's really our our niche right because it's in the very beginning it was clear that there are a lot of problems uh, that listeners have but you really need to find this one thing where where as michael seibel from y combinator always says It, the pain and urgency has to be similar, similar to if your hair is on fire. Right. Like if your hair is on fire, you're desperate. <laughs> and you're desperate <laughs> enough that if next to you there's a bucket of bricks mm -hmm. and there's no water inside, you're going to take those bricks and you're going to pour them over your head. <laughs> yeah. So this is equal to I'm so desperate, I'm going to use this crappy startup MVP. Um. And I'm actually going to switch. So this is basically what we try to find out in these iterations. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful stories to share. <laughs> I, I love that a lot. I also want to talk about other challenges that you faced. You're still a small team. You're five people. But this also meant that you had to hire your first employees beyond the co-founders. That's usually a very difficult or challenging step to do as a founder that early on. So how did you manage to do that? What were some learnings that you took away from the first two hires that you did? Yeah, so we we really started out with saying, okay, the first hires now in this first iteration, this first phase, um, they are so important. Like the, the people you hire is the company you build. And we we took enough time to discuss who, what kind of person we actually want to hire mm -hmm. um, before we did anything before we went out and we also asked ourselves very carefully what kind of skills are we actually trying to hire for yeah. because again our 
we started with we want to optimize for learning. So how do you op how do you learn more or faster? It's with faster iterations. Mm -hmm. So we asked us what are the skills that we need to iterate faster. Nice. And that's then how we decided um, who who we would hire. So we in in our case we decided to hire another app developer and someone to help us with community building and growth. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, then we, we started, you know, by posting on LinkedIn and we thought, well, you know, we know a lot of people, someone's going to apply. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's challenging, especially, I would say, with uh, software engineers. I mean, you can... Yeah, sure. Everyone is looking for them, yeah. right? And that was, um, I would say, uh, the, the tougher one where we really, at some point, we noticed how how much time has passed since we started. Mm -hmm. And as a startup, you have a very clear deadline. Yeah. <laughs> like at some point, your money's going to run out. So we, we felt like, okay, our time is running out. And we had, we had good candidates that made it into the final round, but mm -hmm. there was always something where we said, you know what, we know how important this is. You know, this, this, this is not it. And I would say this was, this was quite tough. I can As, imagine, yeah. Like knowing that, you know, you have a candidate, he's he's good, but not not it's just not completely right. And time is running out. And then saying no. Um that that was that was tough and uh, wasn't an easy decision. But we're super happy that we did it. Mm -hmm. Because in the end we found we found Min, um, who is an amazing uh, person. He's a, he's a, I would, you know, call him a superstar when it comes to app development. Um, studied at EPFL, computer science, has startup experience, uh, many years, like experiencing this, this particular framework that we're using. Amazing. And he's just an amazing, cool and fun guy. Cool. Um, so, so that was, that was something where also I, I would advise others to when it comes to hiring, you know, everything else around a startup is fast, fast, fast. Mm -hmm. You know, good enough is perfect. Yeah. And then get it out there, get feedback, and then that, that's great. But with hiring, that's the one thing where you sort of suddenly have to turn it around and do like a complete 180 and say, no, hire slowly. And because these are the mistakes that are very, take a long time and cost a lot of uh, money and time to to undo absolutely was it mainly your your gut feeling that let you decline the other candidates or how did you come up with that assessment that they're good but not good enough yeah i i think a bit of both so we had some very clear criteria that we that we would would check for and mm -hmm. uh, each one of us had a certain area that they would uh probe for so that was that was also good um good way of doing it mm. like um but then the other thing is really gut feeling and that that is something that um Mikel and i actually also learned from contavista where it was very clear like if if we interviewed someone and afterwards we did a debrief if just one single person said i have a bit of a bad feeling about this guy then that's right. it yeah wow and i i yeah, I, I really think, you know, sometimes it's it's then difficult to put into words. And sure. it also makes it sometimes difficult to communicate that then. Yeah. But in your gut feeling in these cases are often um, helpful. 
I agree. Yeah, it, it, it's not an easy job because you basically have to keep the bar super high and don't compromise on anything, right? That is important to you to find that perfect hire. That's hard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While knowing how much time you still have. Exactly. Yeah. It's <laughs> sort of like a, a contradiction in itself, right? Time's running out. You need to deploy the money. You need to hire people. But at the same time, you also want to hire the best people, which makes the process so much longer. So that's a, a really, really tough balance to strike for and a tough challenge to solve in the end. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The next big challenge that you're obviously facing is the original idea with the meeting notes, right? That would have probably been a B2B case, I could imagine. Now with Snip, you're in a pure B2C market. That is a challenge as a Swiss startup because the Swiss market is small. We don't have a lot of very successful B2C companies. How do you like, how does that show in your daily business life and how do you solve that challenge? Because that's also a very big one to overcome. So this, this is a very interesting question because it's usually the first question that you get from people inside the Swiss ecosystem yeah. when you want to do a B2C startup. Um, so I think you actually nicely took it apart, uh, your question, because often you just hear like, oh, B2C is difficult in Switzerland. But a lot of people actually just say it because they hear other people say it. Right, yeah. So it goes back to, um, you know, thinking from first principles, like, why is it even difficult? Like, why do people say that? Mm -hmm. And usually, and you've said that very correctly, it's because the Switzerland is a small market for, for consumers. Right. Um, but for us, it was clear from the very start that our main market would not be Switzerland. Our main market is, is uh, the US Mm -hmm. And beyond that, then basically every English speaking uh, country or region. And beyond that, everyone living everywhere else who speaks English and consumes right. English content. And there are quite a few people out there, <laughs> if you put it that way. Exactly, exactly. So the, the challenge or the, the framing is then actually not, uh, is B2C difficult in Switzerland for us? Mm -hmm. But the question is, is it difficult to build a B2C company where most of your users are in a different country. Exactly, yeah. And what's your answer to that question? <laughs> so I would say, I, A, I, I don't have the counterfactual. So I haven't built a B2C startup uh, before, so I don't know how it is otherwise. Um, in, I think there's you always have the challenge, right? It's always... You need to understand your users. You need to have empathy for them, mm -hmm. understand where they're coming from. But um, this will always be the case. And if you look at our users now, yes, most of them come from the US, mm -hmm. but they also come from all around the world. Okay. So even if we would be located in the US, we would still have the same problem or the same challenge. Right. So, um, and on top of that, I think... Um, you know, the, the culture in the US, it is clearly different uh, to the culture here in Europe, but it's also, there are a lot of similarities uh, culture-wise. And, you know, we're all listening to the same podcasts. True. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, and also our team is very international. Mm -hmm. So I think the, the, there is definitely a challenge. Is it bigger uh, compared to being in the US? Maybe it's a bit bigger. Is it so much bigger that it's an obstacle? 
No, I don't think so. Probably not. How do you acquire users then? Do you do any traditional performance marketing or what is your biggest user acquisition channel today? Yeah. So maybe it's actually interesting to start, uh, to, to take a step back and, sure. and like where we actually started. Because at some point, um, I mean, that's the, the interesting thing with the B2C product. At some point you put it out there um, and it's not like with B2B where you, you more or less have a list of uh, companies that you can research and you yeah. try to call them up. Um, so what we did in the very beginning was we, uh, we, we looked for people online, like on Twitter, for example, on Reddit, mm -hmm. anyone who was talking about remotely this podcast problem. And we just contacted them, like replied to their tweet, try to send them a DM, whatever, and said mm -hmm. like, hey, we have this prototype, uh, MVP, we just released it, would be amazing if you tried it out and gave us feedback. Nice. So this is how, how we started in the, in the beginning. Yeah. And um, we then, at some point, you know, you get like a couple of users this day, a couple of users the other day. Mm -hmm. And suddenly you realize like, oh, now every day there are like five to 10 users checking out our app. Cool. And that then slowly grows uh, over time. So um, yeah, this is a bit how, how it started. Mm -hmm. And since then, the main uh, growth, growth driver that we have, that we had in the past and that we have uh, until today is really word of mouth. So especially in the community of, um, uh, in this productivity community, oh, yeah. um, people who love taking notes, who have a so-called second brain, yeah. which is a very exciting um, topic. Do a whole podcast episode oh, yeah. just about that. Oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, within that area, you know, you have a lot of tools that you can use for um, to, to organize and take highlights from your, your Kindle highlights. And, you know, when you read, read blogs, And uh, suddenly we came uh, into the picture and now you could do that with, with podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. um, so we also built some, some integrations to make it easier for these people to uh, sync these, these uh, highlights from our app to their notes app. And uh, this, this also then, then helped us, you know, in word, word spread in these communities. Yeah. Um, and there it's, it's really a, a big thanks to our users because they were the ones who, You know, they, they contacted us telling us like, oh, I love, I love your app. Nice. I, I told everyone, I'm like in this, in this private Discord channel, I told everyone to download it. Um, so in, until this day, this is our, our main driver. Um, and yeah, it's been incredible so far. That's a wonderful feedback to receive, right? Because this is basically the validation that you are solving a relevant problem, but at the same time also generate enough value for users so that they then recommend you to their friends or peers. I wonder, do you also leverage that in any way in the app itself? Like, do you proactively ask for referrals and sort of try to kick off this viral loop of recommendation? Uh, we've, we've done some small things there, here mm -hmm. and there. Uh, nothing too big. Yeah. Um, it basically goes back to, we want to make it as easy as possible, of course, for them sure. to recommend, it, uh, recommend us. Um, but in the end, the biggest thing really comes from the best way to get your users to recommend it is to build a great product. True. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I mean, this is maybe a bit of also a learning, not a surprising one, mm -hmm. but for some of the things, 
um you know another another growth channel for us is you know our our users also share these highlights with one another of course, right? yeah. yeah so i there was this moment m very early on where we tried to push sharing a bit more mm -hmm. and there was actually one user who who formulated really well um he sent us feedback and saying like guys i love your app but don't push this sharing in my face like if i hear something great something that i really love i will share this this is like 100%. this is so natural to us humans yeah. um so don't worry about this i will do this yeah. so um this was then also a moment where we said okay like let's focus all of our energy to make this product amazing mm -hmm. that they can highlight this and then of course make the sharing easy yeah. but not try to artificially uh, you know yeah, not push it too hard yeah yeah 100 percent. there's one last thing that i think really is so fascinating about your case is basically the mafia phenomenon if you want to call it that way john reto is also invested in snipped the former co-founder at contavista you you basically met one of your co-founders at contavista so this is a perfect example of how a startup can emerge out of another successful startup. So how important is this support and network or the mafia phenomenon <laughs> uh, behind it for you to actually build a successful company yourself? I think it's, it's very valuable. And I think it's very valuable for the Swiss ecosystem in general. Mm -hmm. um, we are very grateful, Mikel and I, for the support that we've uh, received from not just from Jan, um, who you just mentioned, but also from Nicolas Cepeda and Fabio Benasconi. Um, Nicola, Nico is, is also co-founder of uh, Contavista and Fabio Benasconi was the first employee, like almost co-founder. Yeah. Um, and when we started out, I, I remember in the very first week, we, for example, we met with Jan and he, he um, did a very long session with us, uh, challenged things with us. Cool. And has been a great coach, um, especially throughout like the first six months of our journey with with Nico. We did we did sessions, uh, Fabio as well, and they also introduced us to people, which was very valuable. Um, and this this was also very valuable when it came to to fundraising. Mm -hmm. um, this is, I think, in the beginning. For every startup, it's it's a bit of a weird situation, and you don't not really know where to start and what kind of valuation you can ask for, and and all of these things. And yeah. so there it was it was uh, incredibly valuable to have these. Um, also, another person who helped us a lot was uh, Rasmus Rote, actually, like the founder from of Morantix. Fantastic. Um, you should also have him on the show one day. You had you had his co-founder Adrian Locher. True. Yeah, but Rasmus is also on our list. That's, that's for sure. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this 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 was really uh, very valuable. Yeah. yeah. And I can only motivate any other successful founders uh, who who are listening to. Um, yeah, basically reinvest into the ecosystem. This, I think, is the the best. You know, thinking of as the ecosystem as a startup, this yeah. is the best growth engine yeah. uh, that the ecosystem can have. Uh, much more than teaching people about entrepreneurship, which I think they should. But sure. this uh, reinvesting, you know, basically having early employees that that learn and then go out and do their own thing, and then you know, you believing in them and for us, this um, 
we're, we're super grateful for all of these people. And it's not just John, but also if you think about uh, Wingman, another mm. uh, one of our investors, um, Wingman VC, they were founded by uh, Lucas Veda and uh, Pascal Martis and, and Alex. And, uh, you know, Pascal, for example, was a founder of Get Your Guide. Uh, Lucas uh, built uh, Ch and, right. and sold it. Um, so you have you have all of these moments that you can um, or this this network that you can trace back. And uh, yeah, so this is what we have to do as the Swiss ecosystem. Fully agree. That's also why we published this Swiss startup mafia map, right, that we put together to sort of measure the health of the ecosystem. Are there more companies emerging out of successful exits? And if that's the case, you have a good health in the ecosystem. And that's exactly what we want to track with that map. Now, if you look a bit into the future, you know, in the future of uh, speech AI, basically, where do you see the technology being headed to? Do you, you know, see any more breakthroughs happening and coming? Or do you see more like growth of where you are already quite established? What do you see as the future of speech AI? Yeah, I think, I think in general with AI, already just the state that we're in right now is... Um, we're much further than I think most people realize. And it's crazy how fast it's been moving in the last five years. Mm -hmm. I mean, some, you know, every now and then there's some some really uh, big things that make the news, you know, like GPT-3 or DAL-E2. It's usually OpenAI. They're quite good in creating buzz. Nice. <laughs> Part of the game. <laughs> yeah, where they have Sam Altman as the CEO. Um, yeah. so they know how to market <laughs> the stuff um, but looking at speech AI I think like one of the things that, that uh, excites me in the whole speech uh, speech to text area for example is historically again before this whole self-supervised learning thing um, it was very difficult to get these models to work for so-called low resource languages so that means a language where there are not a lot of data sets with, labeled, with labels. Yeah. So for speech, that would be um, audio, somebody talking, and then you actually have the transcript for that. Mm -hmm. You can use that to build a model. Um, now, for a lot of these low-resource languages, like, uh, like some African languages, yeah. or Schweizerdeutsch. <laughs> 100%, yeah. <laughs> uh, with all of the different dialects, right? Um, it, it was uh, very difficult. So now with this uh, self-supervised learning, there, there have been some really amazing breakthroughs where basically you, you train this model just on, just on the speech data, which is easy to, to get for, for various languages. But even you can train it on all languages together because there are a lot of similarities uh, in there. You know, you can just, as an example, it's all more or less in the same frequency. You know, for example, there are some patterns there. Mm -hmm. um, so the model can already learn a lot about speech, about the patterns, um, without having any label. Nice. And now you have this big so-called pre-trained model, and now you can fine-tune it on one specific language. Yeah. And for this, you now there, there have been some results where already only with 10 minutes of labeled speech, you could you get amazing results. Nice. It's not perfect yet, but sure. you can get amazing results already. And this is something that really excites me, um, you know, for Swiss German. Um, and also for us, because today our, our app, our AI 
uh, only works with English-speaking um, language podcasts. Mm -hmm. And our plan is to to uh, extend it to additional languages in the future. So these things, um, these breakthroughs are also very exciting for us to see. It won't just be then German and French and Spanish, but right. you know the future is 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 much broader. So your vision with Snapvilli is to also capture other languages and really own that podcast market to a certain degree. <laughs> uh, of course, of course. Um, maybe maybe one uh, additional thing of that, that yeah. uh, um, with respect to the the speech AI. Um, so the an, another area that that uh, is also very interesting is the the reverse. So not speech to text, mm -hmm. but also text to speech. Yeah. So we all know the the robotic voices from the nineties, right? Yeah. Hello, I am Silvan. <laughs> Um, and now we've gotten used to Siri um, and the, the Google Assistant. You know, the voices are already much better. But there are some exciting startups out there that really are creating very expressive speech out of text with emotions. And when you look at both of these, like the what's happening in speech to text and text to speech, mm -hmm. this for me really shows what the future is. And it's it's basically that speech will live in both the text and audio domain simultaneously. And you as a consumer can, can seamlessly switch between these two media and leverage whatever the advantage is of, of that particular moment. You know, if you find a blog post interesting, but you're jogging, hey, read it out to me. Right? Nice. Yeah. If you're listening to a podcast and you want to take something and copy it to your notes, no problem. Yeah. So this, this is where, where the where I see the future heading. That's certainly a very exciting future that you're painting and picturing here. I love that. <laughs> so then how is actually this division of SNP playing into all of this, what you just explained to us? Yeah, so in the really looking ahead uh, in the future, the way I see it, when you open up Snipped, and you will immediately see within your, you know, hundreds of podcast show subscriptions, you will immediately see the moments that are most interesting to you. And you can directly dive into this moment and start listening. And if you, if you enjoy it, you will just continue listening. Right. And as soon as you think, okay, this is actually not interesting anymore, you can skip to the next one. Now, this might be in the same episode because our AI has recognized, look, there's, there's another um, area in this podcast that is super interesting to you. Right. And then again, you can, you can continue listening or it might jump to the next episode. And whenever you, you hear something, you'll just as today be able to save it with one click. But it will go even further that you, over time, our AI will actually start to automatically organize all of your highlights. So that just by, you will just be listening and every now and then you do the triple click on your headphones. Mm -hmm. And over time, your knowledge base just starts to evolve. Right. And you have all of the highlights around startups or, you know, startup fundraising here, here yeah. the things about consciousness and hear about artificial intelligence. And the app will every now and then resurface these highlights for you automatically. Be like, hey, here's, here's everything that you heard, that you listened to and saved about like startup fundraising. Yep. You don't want to re-listen to those. And so all of these, there's, there's so much more that, that's basically possible in, in this area that also a lot of use cases that are now just becoming 
um, possible because of the advances in AI. So for us, it's really, really about um, unlocking this knowledge mm -hmm. um, to... Yeah, to unlock this knowledge. <laughs> I, I'm, now I fully understand why you are so excited about what you're building and about the future of your company. I mean, that sounds like a killer app. I definitely want to use myself every day. <laughs> well, perfect. <laughs> so cool. Now, before we actually wrap up the episode, Kevin, we have some rapid fire questions prepared for you. I either give you different options to choose from or a simple question, and you have to answer in one sentence. You're ready? Oh, one sentence. <laughs> I didn't know it was just one sentence. Let's see. Okay. Let's see if you can okay. manage. Let's go. First one for you, podcasts or books? Podcasts. Yeah, clear choice. That was an easy one. Working at the startup or running one? Both. First running? No, first working, <laughs> then running. Okay, I'll add a second sentence to that. Sure. Um, first working at a startup, uh, trying to work at an early stage startup, learn everything, yeah. then go out and do your own. Sounds like a perfect plan. Team player or lone wolf? Team player. Uh, also um, obvious one. Yeah. yeah. And when was the last time that you thought this is probably a really bad idea? <laughs> so this, I think I can't answer in one Fair sentence. Fair point. <laughs> so I think, um, yeah, really some moments from some of our offsites uh, come to mind. Um, so what you have to know, we really love playing table tennis. Nice. And at every offside, we always find a table that we turn into a table tennis table. <laughs> it's a bit of a tradition. Yeah. And uh, last at our last offside, two of us forgot their table tennis rackets. So we only had three rackets, um, but we love playing doubles, two against two. So one of us had the idea to take the big frying pan out of the kitchen <laughs> and use as a table tennis racket. <laughs> And you have to imagine we're in this uh, very nice uh, Airbnb with some fancy furniture and a really beautiful uh, table. And here's one of us with the big yeah. <laughs> frying pan, uh, you know, after a couple of beers. So this was definitely a moment where all of us said like, ah, oh, this I think is a bad idea. Right. Good example. But let's do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. The very last one for you today England, Germany, or Switzerland? That's a mean one, I know. Switzerland. Yeah? So easy? So, well, if, if I can answer more than one sure. sentence. I'm interested in that one. <laughs> <laughs> so when it comes to uh, where I want to live, where I want to be uh, part of society, um, Switzerland. Yeah. Great. When it comes to being a football fan... <laughs> then, unfortunately, Germany. Yeah. It's just something deep inside me. Yeah. Um, Which team? Uh, Bayern Munich. Good. So I've been a Bayern Munich supporter uh, since the age of six or something like okay, that. Yeah. That's, um, yeah. yeah. So that's not going to go away. No, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, England always has a special place in my heart. I have a lot of uh, relatives there. My sister lives there. But yeah, I've uh, made my choice for Switzerland. Great. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the show. All the best and lots of success. We're really excited to see what you're building and where you're going with Snipped. Thanks. Thanks, Sylvan. I enjoyed it very much.
hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs.